Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Police are appealing for witnesses following a homophobic attack on two women on a London bus, which left them bloodied and bruised. The couple say they were taunted by a group of men who demanded they kissed and subjected them to lewd comments. When they refused, they were beaten by the men. You like us on the video You like us when you have control You want an on-screen fantasy But you hate us holding hands in the street Do you want us on your screen? Do you want to hear us scream? Do you want us on your screen? Do you want to hear us scream? Do you want us on your screen? Hey, how are you? Yeah, good! How's your new little... Gadget. Well, we're about to find out. Um, I just called my friend a moment ago and did like a test run with him, and it seemed to all be good. And you seem to be nice and loud and nice and clear. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Lovely stuff. Yeah, this is a, a piece I invested in about a week ago, and this is going to be the first time it's been properly used. So exciting times. Well done. Thank you for test oh, driving it with exciting. me. <laughs> I know. How much did it cost? Uh, it was, well, they're about £750 usually, but I managed to find one brand new, unused, on eBay for 450 So I guess the, the, the deal with it was it was opened but had never been used. So it's brand new but used, so somewhere in the middle. The whole Zoom thing for me, I don't, I don't know. There's, I prefer phone calls. They're more old-fashioned. I'm old-fashioned like that. I think that the idea of staring at someone on a screen makes me miss human contact even more. I'd sooner just not see them. Does that make sense? Yes, for sure. I mean, I keep saying that all the time. I've asking about Zoom fatigue, and it actually is more taxing for your brain to try and like observe someone's emotional responses through a screen because normally, I, like. In a space interaction, you're picking up on a lot of cues like in body language, and like we just don't have that on Zoom, so our brains are having to work harder. 
That makes sense. My flatmate basically does Zoom meetings all day. And at the end of every day, she's like, God, I'm exhausted. And yeah, I mean, even sometimes looking at your phone, I find is a tax on the brain. It's an unnatural thing to be staring at all day, isn't it? I had mine off for two yeah. weeks when I when I got my book when I got my book deal. I just switched my phone off, and I had two yeah. whole weeks completely without it. And it was actually a very kind of cleansing, therapeutic experience. And I recommend it to anybody. That sounds really liberating. Like they actually just sold fucking rectangles completely. <laughs> so, how are you in yourself finding this this crazy situation? Before we get into you know the impact on society and the world at large, what about just mm. you? as an individual in your own head and your own life, um, where are you at? Okay, so I'm a massive, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I'm a massive introvert and I'm actually really enjoying the slow down pace and the lack of like pressure to do things. I think I've been spending so much more time just in my garden, going on walks, in nature, meditating with myself. And, and I'm just, I'm actually finding it, I feel incredibly connected like to my present surroundings in ways that I haven't in years and years. So I'm finding like on a personal level, the whole lockdown quarantine process is really quite healing and very grounding. But, you know, I really do miss playing shows. I miss the band. I miss like going on tour. Obviously, our whole album tour got postponed, um, which was really gutting. We were meant to go in April. We're still going now. Um, and obviously the whole thing got pulled. So, you know, that that's a bit sad. But in the grand scheme of things, I think it's for the best, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, as a band who had so many plans for this year, it must be a real blow. And I know that there's so many bands in the same situation. But I think especially, mm. especially with a band like you guys, this was going to be your year, wasn't it? Like everything that you've been doing for the last three to four years has been leading up to, mm-hmm. to 2020, to this album release, to a tour that's going to celebrate the record. And, mm. you know, the time, the effort, the energy, the money that you must have put into that to then mm. have that ripped away as a upcoming, mm-hmm. you know, DIY independent band that's got to be mm-hmm. um, gutting on an emotional level, but also on a, mm. you know, a very real financial level as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it has been like, you know, that also in a lot of ways, like whenever the time is right, the time is right. And we have taken a really different approach to a lot of bands in terms of like how we've released our music, you know, we released like EPs and a double A side vinyl before we even recorded an album. It's taken us four and a half years to actually get down to like get the money to record our debut album, which we did last summer in Liverpool with and Tarek Musa of Spring King. And like we took our time with that because what, not only did we want to save the money up to do it properly and do it ourselves, so we owned 100% of all of the material. We also, as musicians, have leveled up. We've matured in that time. We have more interesting lyrical content. Like, I do think there is a lot in taking your time in an industry that is so urgent, so competitive. You know, like, tour, album, next album, record, go on tour again. It's exhausting. And I think, you know, as musicians, we do need to question, like, the infrastructure of the industry and how hectic and how fast-paced it is and how so much of that urgency is false urgency that's driven by capitalism, that's driven by, you know the need to make money from live shows. And if we really, really pull it back to what we want to do, most musicians just want to sit in our rooms and write songs. Well, you raise an interesting point there because I think with with this pandemic and with lockdown, one of the positives that I hope will will come out of it is a genuine dent in the belly of capitalism. And it seems like Mm. 
every company's been leveled to an even playing field. And if anything, the larger companies have been hit worse because their outgoings are so much higher and there's no income coming in. And you're absolutely right. It's not just the music industry. I feel like it's society at large and social media, I think, is a big part of this. There's a lot of pressure on everybody. Like, if you don't share what you're doing, are you really doing it? And I'm just as guilty of that. But there is this kind of overriding tone i think to to life and the world in 2020 where it's like you have to be mm. constantly online constantly sharing constantly be seen to be doing things and if you're not then it's like mm. oh that person where are they they've disappeared they're over like and i really yeah. appreciate that approach to just slowing down as you say not just in the context of lockdown but even before that you were like we're going to take yeah. things at our own pace we're going to develop mature grow as musicians and as lyricists and that's notable as well because the first time i saw you play was mm. about three if not more towards four years ago and then mm -hmm. when i watched you at the old blue last more recently it was like a different band and so obviously mm. that incubation period has really paid off and you yeah, know it's much sure. better to do that rather than just be right we need to be in the public light and the the eyes of everybody now perhaps before we're ready um i think for you've sure. taken the right approach and i love your attitude to, to this you know pause moment in in your life and everything that's going on with the band as well i think more people could learn from that just kind of taking a moment to to breathe a lot of it is false pressure isn't it it smokes and mirrors and it's not even real. It's a sickness. Like, I do think a lot of people are finding lockdown, obviously, right? Let me let me just get this clear. It's a privilege to be in quarantine in your home, to not be a key worker, just being forced to go to work and, like, you know, risk your life seven times a day because you can't afford not to. But, you know, within that experience of seeing the whole of society slow down and halt, it's like, well, we're all kind of okay still. And like, do we really need to be going out and spending so much money and basically chronically exhausting ourselves all the time? No. And I do think like, you know, when this period is over, I don't think we're going to go back to how things were before. I think it has. I hope not. Um, no, it's for so many of us to question what we really want from life and also how we want to engage with our world, how we want to engage with Instagram, how we want to engage with each other and just like who we want to be around and what we want to be doing and what really matters. I think, you know that's what this is brought to light and also on the urgency thing i think a lot of our questions as a band have come from um there's this amazing resource i'll send it over to you it's basically the white white supremacy checklist right and i think yeah yeah white supremacy checklist and it's basically just talking about you know in a world that is like so well in societies and western societies that are constructed by like a lot of norms that we don't really question i think if we are to live in a, in a less oppressive and less you know racially you know sexually on a gender level just like oppressive world we do need to look at the structures that we're living within that we don't question and one of the key parts of upholding white supremacy and capitalism is false urgency mm -hmm. and i think questioning urgency questioning competition is like the first step to acknowledging this just like we don't need to look like this well, it's the age-old trick, isn't it? Let's distract them and wind them up and, and terrify them enough that they don't question all the you know, inherent flaws within this system. Let's just make them look over in that direction instead and then the eyes are off us. Like that's as age, as, you know, as old as time itself and more people should mm -hmm. be aware of that. And as you say, I think and so many offices must realise like what kind of money they're wasting every year on just renting out a space mm. and how many of those meetings could have been done just over a phone call and oh yeah it will change the world so drastically in the actual infrastructure i think of of everything hopefully like everybody's like oh when are we gonna so. 
when are we going to go? Excuse me, I've got a frog in my throat. <clears throat> when are we going to go back to normal? It's like, well, normal wasn't that great in many ways. Normal, normal sucks for so many people. And actually, there is, we're not going back to that. And I think, if anything, all of the new working in lockdown, working from home conditions have just proven that disabled people, you know, single parents should not be discriminated against in the workplace. It is perfectly possible to still work from your own home that's what the country's doing now so why we would go back to demanding you know the impossible that doesn't work for a lot of people you mentioned something at the start of this about yourself being introspective and perhaps shyer mm. than most people might realize um mm. let's talk about you let's talk about your your upbringing first of all if you don't mind so are you from london originally <laughs> i'm from reading you're from reading and uh, yeah, I'm from reading. do you have siblings uh, yeah, I've got a little sister. So you're you're the big sis. You've got a little sister as well. I'm big sis. And yeah. ha- me, ha- mom, me, my mum, and my sis. How did you get on uh, at school and everything like that? Were you kind of like an engaged student? Because you seem like you're a very switched on, articulate, intelligent young lady. So is that, that was such a, I was such a nerd. I was such a little <laughs> geek. Oh my god! Yeah, no, I was just a, I was just a massive nerd. Obviously, like a nerdy goth metalhead, headphones in, don't look at me freak yeah all of that but you know that that was just how I experienced the world and how I wanted to be and I think what was interesting actually I was talking to my housemate the other day because he's a teacher we were talking about like you know how the education system has changed so much since we were at school and what I was thinking about is that I actually can't really tell you what I learned in secondary school my main memories from that time are just around like the music I listened to like my friendship groups and I think they're kind of the most important memories that stand out. And I think that period of your life when you are at school is actually more important in terms of forming your personality and your relationships and the ways you relate to the world more than, you know, what grade you're getting or your prospects of getting a job. A hundred percent. Well, I think that school and then college and then even university, all they're really doing is training you to pass exams to get to the next level mm. and, and that's the academic curve is just let's get you, get, get you through this next test but actually it's the life experiences in those institutions which set you up and I think if I didn't go to college and university and study English and, and have these seminars where you'd sit mm. around tables and openly dissect and discuss art and culture yeah. and semantics and things like this I think that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today because it really formed my character my personality yeah. who I am um, so you were yeah, you were both studious and would you say you were kind of like sociable and popular and integrated within the, the school system and network of students? Uh, I just kind of existed on my own level. Like, yeah, I had friends, but I think, you know, I was quite a dark teenager. I was reading Nietzsche when I was like 13. Wow, <laughs> listening okay. To loads of, yeah, yeah, listening to loads of metal, just like, you know, just, just in my own world. And I did, you know, I did feel very disconnected from the world around me a lot of the time. And I did find a lot of, solace and connection in music and a lot of my memories as a teenager were actually breaking into Reading Festival every year um, and just like with my friends just going and enjoying those spaces I think that was there's some of my most formative memories I think from that period of my life I, yeah I'm a nerd I'm a nerd I broke into Reading uh, in 2006 I want to say um, I think I probably did the same year. <laughs> and I, I got caught without a band and I got ejected and yeah. thrown out, but all my stuff no was still way. in my tent back in the camping area. No, I was like, cool. what about my stuff? And they're like, well, you shouldn't have broke in. So we got thrown out, me and my no. friend Joel, and then I broke back in. No. Uh, and then we snuck back well through all the tents, got back, and then we got 
kicked out again, but this time I was like, I'm taking my stuff with me. And then many years later, we'd go on to host the uh, the lockup stage there for five years in a row. So it's funny how I've actually still got the letter somewhere that says you're officially banned as a patron from this festival for life. No way you got a letter <laughs> I got, that you were banned. I got the letter. Yeah, they were like, we need your name and address. I was like, do I give a fake one? Uh, no, I'll give the real thing. This will be a fun souvenir. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 that is a souvenir. That's, that's incredible. That's so funny. Um, where do you think your disconnect came from? If you don't mind me going into it, was, was the family situation mm. something that you perhaps wanted to retire from and escape from? Or d- did the, mm. that disconnect come from somewhere else? Where does that start? Um, well, I mean, I'm not going to just like bait up my life to the world on the internet right now. But I just think like, I think being a teenager is a really difficult time. Like, you know, being a teenage girl, being a queer teenage girl, like all of these things can be incredibly, like, incredibly isolating. And I think adolescence is just a very like difficult, competitive period. Yeah. Everyone's trying to figure out who they are. I mean, we still are. Do you know what I mean? I think <laughs> I think the older I get, now. the more I'm still trying to figure it out, to be honest. It doesn't get any easier. Yeah, I hear you on that completely. Just like delving deeper and deeper into curiosity around just like purpose. Who who were the bands you were growing up listening to then? You mentioned metal. Was that the genre which connected with you the most as a kid? Yes, for sure. And also, like, on a political level, okay, so obviously I was into all the pop punk, like Green Day, Sun 41, Blink, Met You, the fun stuff. And I think also a lot of a lot of the reasons why later I wanted to go on and be in a in a pop punk, kind of surf punk, witch punk band is because I only ever saw men doing that stuff. And I had so much jokes listening to that music. And I was like, why is it the men get to have all the fun and all the juicy jokes? Like, you know... I can do that as a woman too. Um, but yeah, metal. I actually, when I was sixteen, wrote you. You know, Terrorizer magazine. Yes. Yeah. It was I like a mixture into, of tattoo culture and music, right? Yeah, no, that was more metal hammer. But Terrorizer was like proper, like all the metals, all the metal subgenres. I wrote into them when I was sixteen for work experience, and bless them. This is this is too joke. I went. They invited me for an interview, which one is ridiculous for work experience. They must have just been having jokes over this. Because I remember talking to the editor and um, like the managing editor, and the interview was basically asking me different subgenres of metal and which bands would fit into them. Great. It was like, like a quiz. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a quiz. It was, it was just like, can you give us an example of battle metal? Can you give us an example of, um, of dark metal, of black metal? Like all of them. It was so funny. And how did you get on? Did you pass? Yeah, it's fine. I did it. I did a two-week work experience there for the summer. It was great. Amazing, smashed it. <laughs> you met. You mentioned like surf rock summary music there. It's interesting because having just listened to your album again now, and thank you for sending it me so many months Ooh. ago as well. Like I've been enjoying and listening mm. to this album for ages now. I feel very, mm-hmm. very privileged. Oh, thanks, Matt. Um, there's a few songs on there which, straight up, if it wasn't for the female vocal, would just be the undertones. Like it has that real summary mm. pop punky kind of flavour. Mm. Jillian is one of them. Swimming pool is one of them. Obviously, this is the summer as well. And that for me, like mm. Ramones, undertones, the original yeah, pop sure. pop punk. I love all that yeah, stuff. Sure. And as you say, like traditionally. It's not so much a genre associated with females having fun. It's more, oh, the fellas are out in their, you know, Coupe de Ville car or whatever. They're off to the yeah. beach. <laughs> but but what about the girls? And Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think also as, the, you know, women in punk, historically there's a huge legacy of, like, women being angry in punk. And there's a big role for that. Obviously, there's a lot to be angry about in this world as a woman, especially in this country. You know, we live in a country where two women a week are murdered by a partner or ex-partner. That's a lot to be angry about. But at the same time, you can't be angry all the time. You burn out. You want to have jokes. And I think also as a band, a lot of the a lot of the like 
power in some of our more deeper political messaging. You know, when we're talking about the lack of conviction for um, sexual abuse in the criminal justice system, people listen to that because two songs before, we were playing a song about how we're annoyed because the person we fancy didn't text us back. Which is genius. I love that song so much. Like the humour and the ability to laugh at yourself with the like, you know, more painful realities of being a woman. And I think having that whole like holistic understanding of those experiences, a lot of people connect with that. Well, I remember when I first saw you, what really stood out for me was that you had this ability to educate and entertain. And so few mm. bands have that double threat skill in their arsenal. Mm. And as you mm-hmm. say, you can you can get really visceral and intense and, and mm-hmm. passionate and aggressive and wound up about very serious, in some cases, very dark subject matter. But then you yeah. can also, to the flip side of that, you know, reference people not messaging you back on WhatsApp and, and mm. things like that. And Interestingly, mm-hmm. I did an interview recently with a lad called Josh from a band called mm-hmm. Bad Flower, and he was mm-hmm. saying how a lot of rock bands just refuse to reference contemporary subject matter in their songs, and that's a large part. Why? Because pu- they're too cool. You think it doesn't happen to you? You think you don't get ghosted? Yeah. <laughs> well, and also I think that they're just like we want, we we need our music to be timeless, so we can't talk about Instagram and things like this. And it's oh, like, right. well, okay, if yeah. you want young people to connect to your music, you have to reference the things which define their life and. You know, communication platforms like WhatsApp, social media, that's a big part of the reality of day-to-day life here and now, and so few rock bands are referencing that. Um, Mm -hmm. And and it was an interesting point that I never really thought about before because it's true. Like, apart from you guys, so obviously referencing that in Chirp Degree Burns, I was like, when was the last time I heard a (laughs) guitar-based band that's that's singing about either WhatsApp or Instagram, and I couldn't pull yeah, up a, sure. any. So, super, super interesting. Um, but yeah, yeah you, you have this ability to walk the tightrope and do both. And as I say, entertain and educate. And it means that I think the message is all the more important. And it's it settles in because, as you say, a moment ago, we were singing about this and you were having fun. But now the tone's mm-hmm. changed and we're stopping and we're making you think. Mm-hmm. And I think p- people are more likely to go on that journey with you because you can do both rather than just, oh, we're yeah, going to stand sure. here and be, be lectured at. No, no way. Never. No, no, no. No righteousness. No lecturing. Like, you know, I think what we tap into is just a lot of people's shared experiences and stuff that's already there. And people resonate with that because it's something that they hold to be true. And also, come on, everyone wants to have fun at a gig. Exactly. We work too hard. Everyone wants to go out and have fun. And I do think that, you know, collective joy is incredibly healing. It's one of the most healing things we have as a society. We always talk about mental health and, like, disconnection and depression. Like, a lot of that stems from isolation. And I think any way that you can connect with other people, connect with strangers, Connect with James and that laugh and be angry, you know, rage and joy are not mutually exclusive emotions. And I think something we talk about a lot as a band is just like the idea of rage joy, where you can be absolutely, you know, exalted by being in a pit with a load of other queer women who are angry about people who make rape jokes. Like, you know, all of those things can be integrated together. 
And how exciting is that as well? Like I took my friend Helen to see you guys at the Old Blue Last and most of the Mm -hmm. the bands that she goes to see are very much, I guess, what you would call classic rock. Her boyfriend is a drummer Mm -hmm. in one of those kind of bands. She's very much in that kind of rambling man, classic rock world. Yeah. And she was just like, A, I've never seen so many young people at a gig. B, I've never Mm. seen so many females at a gig. And then when Mm. you did the, uh, you know, women and non-binary people to the front thing, she was like on her phone filming it, just like this is the most amazing thing. Ah! I've ever seen why didn't I have anything like this when I was a young girl going to gigs and she absolutely loved it and it was great to see it through her eyes like as Mm. an elder if you will that missed out on that Mm. and and how positive it is that the next generation have that opportunity to go to you know shows like yours and experience that as you say collective Mm. rage joy what a great phrase also I think you know that is very much our intention to create the music that we wish we had as teenage girls we yeah. wish that we had that. We wish we had people being like, you know, it's okay to like scream and cry and, you know, show your emotions and also laugh at yourself. Like the number one most important thing in life is to be able to laugh at yourself. And I think, you know, a lot of musicians can learn from that too. Well, hence Chip Advisor, right? You know, I like the way that on <laughs> on your social media pages, you're very active and engaged with activism. And there's a lot of information coming out of those platforms yeah. at all times. But then yeah, that's yeah. punctuated and underscored with, you know, a video of you guys at a service station in Belgium somewhere reviewing a plate of lukewarm chips. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> those, those chips were nasty. But yeah, we, we, <laughs> we've had some good chips, had some bad chips. Tom Morello actually said our Instagram is like political education and I'll just take that, you know. That's just like, I'm done. I'm very happy with that. Let's talk about Tom because I just, this week as we're talking now, um, the current episode going out is Chris number two for Anti-Flag uh, and we talk, we talk about you guys in that. He's, I mean, I'd done a tour with him, a 10-day tour, and we'd never spoke for more than, you know, a couple of seconds because I was yeah. so busy DJing between all the bands and he doesn't really go out and drink and stuff after the shows. No, no. So I we didn't have... so healthy. Uh, yeah. And that's why he's, you know, still jumping off base cabinets at his age yeah. and as, as intensely yeah. physically fit as he is. But this was yeah. the first time we got to sit down and talk and we spoke about Tom, obviously Anti-Flag and Tom Morello share a history yeah. and a friendship. How does Tom Morello become aware of Dream Nails? How does that relationship begin? Okay, so was it last time or last time what? So Tom Morello was doing a show in London Stadium. He was opening some news and he put a call out to people who are political activists because he wanted to create a freedom choir, basically like a bunch of people to come on stage and like sing a couple of songs with him. So we sang Killing in the Name and Power to the People. And um, we basically like, because of my connections with, um, you know, I was an activist, I, I'm not as active as I was before the band, because, you know, being in a band takes a, a lot of time. Of course. Um, you know, linking with a lot of London activists. So my friend Kareem got me involved in that. And then, you know, I was like, I'm going to meet Tom Morello. I'm going to take some of my band zine. And you, you're and then, a hustler like myself. I love it. You've got it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Straight in there. So, like, you know, it goes, goes so high backstage, and it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, here's some zine. Um, this is what we do. And then he's like, I'd love to talk to you more. Come to my hotel later. Let's drink some whiskey. And I was like, oh, my fucking God. <laughs> Text the band WhatsApp. Just like, shit. Is there, is there, is there, I'm like, anyone around? We need to go to this hotel in London. Is anyone awake? Come on, come on. Let's go, let's go. And he was like, I've got flu. And I was like, even if you've got lemon come on. She's like, no, I've really got flu. I can't come. I was like, I can't do this on my own. So then Mimi comes with me, meets me at this random hotel. Really nice hotel. That's your basis, right? Um, 
Yeah, incredible basis, Mimi. I can't remember, I think Lucy might have been abroad at the time. Um, but yeah, so Mimi comes and then we're just like there hanging out with Tom and Tom's team um, till the early hours. And That's amazing. Tom runs a record label called Firebrand, just this collective musicians. He was very interested in our music, continues to be like, he's, yeah, he's incredibly supportive um, of what we're doing because obviously just like, you know, we're a new generation of political musicians that are operating in a very different political landscape a very different you know music industry and i think there's something about us that he's really drawn to so we're in touch he seems like an incredibly real character i've interviewed him i spent about 45 minutes with him chatted to him then but we didn't get to know each other on a personal level but what i have seen is Mm. whenever he's on tour especially when he's doing the prophets of rage stuff him and chuck Mm. d would just like roll up to bars and just start doing dj sets and taking over like they did a tiny little kind of like block party in brixton (laughs) when when prophets of rage were on tour and i was like to still do that at that level when you're clearly recognizable and famous and you know you could just be the guy in the limousine back at the hotel like totally detached from the common people but him and chuck would just be on that tour rolling up to bars throwing on music and just kind of partying and meeting people and staying connected to local communities yeah. and then as you say the next generation yeah. of musicians as well i think that just speaks to their values as political musicians and the values that are underneath that around just like community and just making the world a better place um you should definitely tour with them that should definitely happen oh, yeah, <laughs> when touring's a yeah, thing again <laughs> happened in like 2025 yeah i would love that that'd be great when was the last show you played when was the last show when was the last i can't even remember i don't even remember anything from the before times you know what i mean from bc before Um, corona (laughs) yeah bc before corona uh it is mad isn't it i mean my last show was the 11th of March which is my birthday I went to see Brian Ferry at the Royal Albert Hall and so that that was like a nice last gig to have in my memory but even that which was you know just over two months ago does seem like a distant Mm -hmm. dream I think my last yeah completely was that even real and obviously we all didn't know it was going to be our last shows either I think my last like memories were obviously touring with Anti-Flag that was February right yeah yeah that was it was January actually oh was it January yeah January twenty twenty, we toured with Anti Flag Plus and part of Europe, and it was it was a lot of fun. It was great. Yeah, they're really sweet guys, and their their live show is really one to watch and learn from because they're just very charismatic and great performers, and they back up like you guys mm. do. They've got the message, and they have obviously got very serious intent, mm. but their shows are still joyful and upbeat yeah. and and a good time. And you know, they do the thing where they get people to put their arms around a stranger and make a new yeah, friend. For and sure. yeah, and also like I think that translates to. Obviously- off stage and backstage as well like they're incredibly just like kind open-hearted you know generous guys they were just really like you know it was a really great thing for them to bring us on tour with them they understood the significance of us as like an all-women punk band and um, you know their audience is very very male as are a lot of like punk and rock audiences but and the audience absolutely loved us because you know we were a bunch of women from the uk singing about you know a lot of political things and we still made everyone get down and squat in our song Jillian so it went well <laughs> well I mean I have to say for me as a man watching you it's so refreshing it's like finally thank god um and I yeah. don't I don't go to as many like sh- newer up, up and coming let's say gigs as I should um and I do always try and catch the support band when I'm going to see like a you know a main big show mm. but it's it's mm. so rare and too rare and thank god for you guys I absolutely love what you do um let's talk no, thank- 
you. Let's talk about the other girls in the band because another thing that I notice when I've seen you play is often with younger bands, you'll have the singer and it will be all eyes yeah. on them and they'll kind of carry the whole weight of the show and then the rest of the band sometimes no. just looks like some youth club no kids way. that they've pulled up uh-huh. on stage with them. Whereas you guys, every single member is like a character, an individual, a star in their own right and you kind Absolutely. of just, you look like the full package. And the last time in particular when I saw you, you would step back from time to time and let Anna kind of lead. And there was Anya, yeah. uh, sorry, yeah. And it's like it's a real democracy, it seems, on stage. And you're all, even in the music videos, like very colorful characters. And it seems like you're all yeah. e- equal and all, you know, a star in your own individual right. And I love that as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're like the punk five stars. We're going to bring out a sticker collection. <laughs> no, it's very much about that. And I think, you know, that really speaks to our feminist principles that transcend beyond our lyrical content as musicians and the way that we want to run our band and the way that we want to interrupt a lot of, you know, individualized feminist perspectives that are like, you know, a woman being empowered on her own. It's like, no, actually, we all have to lift each other up. We all have to, like, interact in a sisterhood. And we're all talented musicians in our own right. We all have important things to say. And everyone just, like, gets their time. I think you would have seen us on stage. Like, everyone talks throughout the show. Like, there's a point where often Lucy will come off from the drums and she'll grab the mic as well. Like, you know, that is very intentional. We have very much chosen that. And I think we've got, we've just, like, got a way of holding ourselves to the politics that we believe in as individuals and as a collective and what we want to say as a band is that we all have something important here we are for distinct individuals and it shouldn't just be one person there shouldn't be a hierarchy it shouldn't be this like tidal thing it's just the front woman because i also think that's incredibly isolating and draining position for an individual to be in yeah well you're out there on your own aren't you and- no it's, i don't not about it and also i think you know there's a lot of healthy challenge to ego as well that comes with being in a band and I think you know what's the point in being in a band if you're just gonna want all the attention on you just go and be a solo artist I love that yeah I've really noticed that about you when you were playing that old blue last show um and Lucy as well what's that video where she's like in a big I don't know she looks like a giant raspberry or something she's floating through space oh my god she looks of- like August- that's ex- yeah that's that's exactly <laughs> what it is she is so funny in that video I was in Mercury. stitches Lucy is so funny to be fair like Every every woman in Doomnose is the funniest person I've met in my life. We have so much jokes on tour. Like I'm sure you've seen that Instagram tour. We're just like laughing our heads off the whole time. But yeah, Lucy's turns out she's just like this incredible character actor. It's come out in our videos for Vagina Police and Mercury, especially just like the things that she comes up with is so funny. <laughs> Was that her idea? That whole character thing. Yeah, no, she just runs with it. It's just like, okay, Lucy, say so you're going to be the planet Mercury. She's like, okay, okay. <laughs> She owned that role, I must say. What was the um what was the house party thing you did in Europe? Was that a full tour or just a one off thing? I saw that recently. That was so locked up to funny. someone's house and just played a full gig. Yeah, yeah. So basically we we got um we were in Scandinavia and we were in Oslo. We played a show in a really beautiful public library. It's like an all ages show in this beautiful public library. Um and then someone was like, Hey, there's a house party, there's a mansion party tonight. Do you guys want to come? You could play a show. And we were like, what? Yeah, of course. We're in Norway. We're going to go to a mansion party. Um, and then we just like got three buses into the arse end of nowhere uh, and then asked if we could borrow some guitars and then just <laughs> ripped the roof off to a bunch of really drunk Norwegians. Amazing. It was great. Scandinavians yeah, are a certain fun. breed of wild as well, aren't they? They're, live, they're a lively bunch. 
Yeah, they are. I mean, I, I'm just like... Is it, <laughs> Something is in it, the air up there. Saying, yeah, well, it's that quality of life, isn't it? They've got to rebel against something. I'm just like, you know, you have a functioning welfare state, clean water, clean air. Like, I don't even know why you're angry, but okay, here we go. <laughs> I think a lot of it has to do with the daylight hours and the, you know, the intense uh, kind of yeah, seasonal thing. Because I went to Iceland a few years back, obviously isn't in Scandinavia, but around that part of the yeah. world. And I went in summer and there was only something like two hours of darkness every day. And then in winter, it's the flip side of that. There's like only two hours of light. So I think no that way. breeds a specific, I don't yeah, know. Fair edgy kind of character but i've never met a scandinavian that didn't have like an edge about them they're great they're very funny charismatic quirky you know kind of idiosyncratic people but there's always like there's always a bit of an edge there where you're like well i wouldn't want to wind this person up the wrong way (laughs) it's interesting as well because i think you know sweden is often heralded as like the ideal democracy and just like the most progressive country but then i remember last time i was on tour there talking to someone who was just like no, they're like incredibly racist and like anti-immigrant, yeah. Um, like structurally on government level and on an individual community level. Um, but also they've got the most punitive drug policy in the whole of Europe, which I didn't know. Well, when I went to Oslo in Norway, uh, I just saw needles everywhere, like underneath the snow on the streets. No and oh, as you say, so it's they're very yeah. clean, almost utopian countries yeah. in some respects. But then there's a real dystopian yeah. vibe there as well like Mm -mm. under the surface Mm. which is peculiar i I want to ask you this janie where does your i guess philosophical spiritual political makeup where do all those influences come from uh is it you know authors philosophers people in your life when did you start to formulate this unique view which you have of the world which is a very balanced very empathetic very you know in in some cases when needs to be enraged state of mind Mm. where do a lot of these schools of thought come from do you think I think it's really, I think so many different sources. I think just like life is so full of like teachers and resources and information. And you know, as as individuals, as adults, like we can never ever stop learning and growing. I think like fundamentally, some of the biggest shifts in my like way of understanding the world have come through activism. Have come through doing a lot of activism with women of color, with questioning my own whiteness, with questioning like models of you know, individualism and capitalism and really just like deconstructing whether that actually serves us as a society or whether it just reinforces power dynamics and disconnects us from each other. So I think, you know, a lot of black feminist scholarship, like <clears throat> Bell Hooks, Audre Lorde, like for starters, and Chimamanda Adichie, like all of these incredible writers, I think have been the biggest like intervention in my growth, like as, a, you know, a queer white woman in the world. Um, I think before that, it's, it's hard to put a finger on it, really. I think that's the only one I can name. It's like the biggest thing. So basically you're saying life, like just the things, the people, the situations, the, the realities, yeah. the constructs around you. I do think, yeah, for sure. But also I think like taking an approach of, you know, my experience is not the universal experience and making an active effort to listen to people who have very different lived experiences and just being like, okay, yeah, I don't experience racism on a day-to-day basis, but you do, and I want to understand what that's like and, you know, what I can do to help disrupt the power structures that make our lives so different. Um, So I think, like, you know, just constantly challenging my own assumptions, constantly challenging my worldview, which I think is really healthy for, like, every single person to do. And it's an uncomfortable thing to do, and I think a lot of people really disengage from feminism because they're just, like, you know, men often do disengage from feminism. So they're like, that's not true. It's like, no, it might not be true for you, but it's true for me. And 
that's okay. And let's just sit with the discomfort of that reality. I think politically as well, um, there's a real tendency at the moment, which is a shame for a lot of people to just delete from their timelines and their, let's say, Mm. friends or followers, and even in some Mm. cases, life, anybody that has an opinion that's slightly different to their own. So they're basically Mm. then in this incubation echo chamber where everybody around them thinks and feels the same thing and it's all great but then oh hang on a minute brexit's just gone through and donald trump's in power and boris Boris johnson and they're like how has this happened everybody that i know is this left inclined it's like well because you're blocking out everybody else and ignoring the reality outside your doorstep and that's a real problem like i think we need a lot more discourse and communication and to sometimes be confronted with ideas and uh you know concepts which are uncomfortable and alien to us to grow yeah. to learn and to try and c- sure. come together for sure growth is always uncomfortable you know the deepest spiritual personal growth is always incredibly uncomfortable at the time you just have to commit to the discomfort of it and then on the other side you just be like wow okay i was embarrassed of how i used to behave and i think something that i always remember which anya our guitarist says is that you know the internet can be used as a window or a mirror. You can lo- like you can use it to look out into the world and gain knowledge and information that you are curious about and don't understand. Or you can just restrict, restrict, restrict what information you get. So it's just a constant mirroring of your existing worldview, and you just don't develop or grow. And you just those beliefs just get reinforced and reinforced. And I think, you know, unfortunately, like you said, the way that we're able to just like customize personalize all of our feeds all of our news feeds all of the ways that we interact with the world it has almost like disconnected us all as individuals in a lot of ways it has bridged us the internet is an incredible thing social media is an incredible thing like as a band we've met loads of other bands loads of political activists those are amazing illustrators from all over the world um it also gives you the tools as an independent outfit like with me in this show to completely control and self-market yourself as well which, yeah, you know, that was never there before. I think it's very subversive and it is just like a new way of, you know, navigating the music industry in a lot of ways. But yeah, I think it's it's a really challenging political time that we live in because like you said, I think Brexit was the first moment that a lot of people who have been living in echo chambers realised, oh, I, I don't feel like I can trust my neighbours. But it's just like, well, actually, why did you not understand that your worldview is different to the people around you because of your lived experiences? Well, I've had it with someone who I won't name, um, but I had it with somebody who I was friends with for many, many, many years um, in, mm. the, in the music industry. And when mm. uh, Hugh Hefner passed away, I posted like mm. a RIP Hef picture and it was just him in a dressing mm. gown and a sailor hat. And this guy mm. was like, you know, this guy is obviously this bogus character that's grossly mistreated women and all of this. Mm. But I was like, well, I, I know somebody who worked at the Playboy Mansion and worked for him and she was a sex therapist and a psychologist. And she, mm. I did an episode of this podcast with her. She, you'd love it. And I mean, sadly now yeah. she's, she's passed away because she was brutally uh, murdered by her ex-partner. Oh, it's a bit of a my. fucking hor- yeah. horrendous end to a beautiful life. Um, oh, no, but she, she revealed to me that actually he was very kind towards you know, most of the women who, who work there, if not all of them, and also that a lot of them were there by choice. None of them were, were kept mm. there. And But basically, this guy deleted me off all like social media and everything, and we haven't spoke since. And I just thought that was a real shame because he threw away years of friendship just because I said one thing that he didn't 100% agree with. And I, I think, think that experience is incredibly common, though, Matt. Like, I do think we are... There's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of fear, and also there's just a lot 
I really dislike cancel culture. I really strongly dislike it because Me too. I just think it speaks to a, an inability to sit with difference and discomfort and actually to see every single person as like a unique and complex human being who will have, you know, different dynamics with the different people in their lives. There's no such thing as a good person, a bad person, as like an angel or a monster. We don't live in those kind of fairy tales. Like everyone has, you know, childhood experiences, life experiences, like opinions that have shaped them and shaped the choices that they make. And I think we all need to seek to understand our differences in that respect and hold space for our differences. It's weird if you want everyone to be exactly like you and think like you. <laughs> it's strange. What are you going to learn from that? And also how boring is all art going to become? Music, cinema, literature, sculpting, painting, mm. everything. If we all thought mm. the same, you know, there's no points of difference. Mm. Art dies. Mm. Individuality dies. Like I hate the idea of washing away the individual as well, which seems to be a common trend mm. in the society mm-hmm. that we're in. If you're different, it's like, no, no, you've got to fit in. You've got to fit in. It's like, mm-hmm. I, d- I don't want to fit in. All the, all the most interesting yeah. people I know don't. And I think the other thing For as well sure. is anybody who, ha- anybody who has even the slightest inclination towards a right-wing school of thought even if it's centrist their extremely kind of hardcore left-wing fans are going to go well fuck you and then they're going to lean more towards the right because oh here's this guy over here saying that i can say these things and actually there's this weird kind of trend at the moment where and it's obviously not something i agree with and i'm down with but it seems to me that a lot of people are going over towards these more extremist nationalist in some cases parties Uh, because they're allowed freedom of speech over there and the left wing don't see that the irony of what they're doing is actually the tactics of fascism. Like they're saying, you can't say that, you can't do that. And it's mm. like, well, that's actually fascism. That's the thing you're meant to be standing mm. in direct opposition of, if that makes sense. For sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of really complex psychological underpinnings to that around people's desire to belong. And, you know, maybe if you point the finger at someone else, you feel like your place within a group is more secure. And I do think a lot of that happens within kind of left wing circles where you know, everyone's calling out everybody and actually, wait, wait a minute, let's talk about the fact that yes, we have all inherited and all perpetuate quite harmful narratives or understandings of the way we relate to each other. Let's just name that as not our individual problem, then talk about our differences, talk about what's underneath that, have curiosity, ask the questions, be vulnerable and not be judged for asking questions and just like connect with each other a bit more fundamentally. I think I listened to a really interesting TED Talk last um last autumn which is a woman i can't remember her name who sent um she basically created this incredible project where she found members she created an algorithm to find members of far-right groups online and actually serve some adverts on mental health like you know are you feeling disconnected from the world around you are you feeling lonely are you feeling sad and it showed that people who are members of like neo-nazi and far-right groups we're much more likely to click on those adverts. And I think there's something in that, that all of us are just seeking belonging. Yeah. All of us are just seeking safety and belonging. And we want to understand each other better and we want to feel accepted. And I think, you know, the more hostile we get with one another, the more we drive each other apart. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I want to ask you this. Have you had any nice experiences with your fans where they've come up to you and approached you or emailed you perhaps and shared stories with you where your music has directly impacted their life and, you know, kind of brought about a a very positive change? Matt, every single show. Matt, every single show. I'm not even kidding you. Every I believe you. I show, believe you. Every show. Every show. At the merch table, we'll get DMs, we'll get emails where, you know, women who have survived sexual abuse and rape will be like, this is the first time I felt safe at a show. Thank you. People will be crying. You know, men will come up to us and be like, I've never seen anything like that. You know, you remind me of polystyrene. I haven't felt this way since I was 21. Thank you so much for all of your energy. Um, we've had people bring us like, food and like homemade massage bars and chocolate and you know people really connect with our music and I think it's because a lot of what we're saying the spaces that we are creating with our music in terms of having all the women and non-binary people to the front and naming that and naming that this is a space for you this is a space for you to feel safe this is a space for you to have fun um a lot of people really love that and really appreciate that and you know then they end up putting us on their I'm anxious, what music makes me feel better playlist and, you know, end up coming back to gigs with more of their friends and being like, hey, me and my friend, I told her about your music. She loves you too. We've got so many just like loyal super fans and I love our fans so much. Like the Dream Nails Punk Witch fan community are just like my favorite people in the world. They're just incredible. It seems like you're building something really special. I've only been to two shows three years apart, but are both of those it was tangible and you could feel it in the air. There was a sense that what you were doing was important and it was connecting on a very real, mm. very personal level. Um, mm. And it was so refreshing, as I said, for me, who hadn't felt that way about a new band in such a long time. I, yeah, I think, and also I think what's really interesting is that everybody takes something different from our shows and we've got like a really strong cohort of, um, you know, male fans who are in their 40s and 50s who are like standing at the back of every show because they completely understand the women and non-binary people to the front. And they just love the whole thing. And we've had so many guys who say to us and who will just like comment online and all of this stuff just be like, you know, it was a Dream Now show that first questioned me to consider all of my assumptions around my privilege as a man, all of my entitlement to space. And like, it really blew my mind. And I like, I really understand what they're saying now. And like, you know, I'm not a trans person. I don't face violence and threats everywhere I go. Like, of course, they should be up at the front in a Dream Nail show because, like, this is a queer space and this is, you know, where we want people to feel the safest. 
It's interesting as well, because as a man at your show, when you do that part of the show, mm. I feel slightly uncomfortable because you're challenging, yeah. as you say, that very thing. But, a, yeah. but what I don't what I don't feel is discluded. And that's what's great about no. it is you're not going, fuck off, guys. You no, don't belong no. here. It's like, no, this is no. a moment where actually it's not about you because it's about you 95 no. percent of the time. And this is that other five. So let's mm. start there and work from there. Yeah, and that's sure. a completely reasonable request. But it does. It makes you feel a little bit awkward. And that's a really good thing because you're not used to being felt that way and you see it yeah, from the other perspective sure. as you're saying so you're like oh wow so this is what it feels like to kind of not be the dominant energy within a room this is a really good vantage point to look inside myself and grow mm. and i absolutely love it i absolutely love it jane i want to talk to you about a couple of individual tracks on the record yeah do you do you have a release date for the album yet what's going on i know you've got two separate <laughs> labels now you've got a us and a uk which is amazing um but I mean, is there is there a set date for a future release, or are you kind of still playing it by ear at this stage? Because the whole world is indeed up yeah. in the air, isn't it? Right now, we're looking at the first week of September. Cool. So that's that's what we're going to stick with. I want to talk to you about payback, which I mean, yes, please. The the kind of rage against the machine almost breakdown parts in that. Uh, <laughs> And then the flip side to that is the kind of real open, sparse, almost like Joy Division style texture to the verses. Yeah, Joy Division, I see that now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a really cool, complex, interesting, like musical landscape that you paint. Um, Obviously, the subject matter is very important as well. Let's talk about that quickly first, and then we'll go Mm -hmm, into mm -hmm, the the whole sounds and scapes of the thing. Mm -hmm. So basically, the song is written about the lack of justice for the violence that women in society face. You know, we live in a country where only 2% of rapists are convicted. And that is just so, so painful for rape survivors and people who have, you know, experienced really awful, you know, traumatic sexual abuse and the memories and the harm of which they will be carrying and navigating for a lifetime. And yet there's no justice for it. And so the song is about that. And the, the hey, mister, um, get your hands off my sister chant in the middle in the breakdown, as you reference, that comes from um, a feminist activist group that I was a part of called Sisters Uncut. Um, and we would go and chant that in, you know, respect of domestic violence and domestic violence statistics in the UK. Amazing. So it has its roots in real, like, grassroots activism. That's killer. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the payback video, it's all Sisters Uncut footage. It's all footage from old demonstrations, and it's very much about, you know, women and non-binary people coming together to just be angry and express, like, anger and rage around, like, the absolute trauma we face. And, you know, no one's ever held to account for it. And you've obviously had this time, as you mentioned near the start of the conversation, to grow and evolve Mm -hmm. as musicians. That's really Mm -hmm. one of those songs for me that shows like, oh, maybe where the next album, you know, the the limitless Mm -hmm. potential that that could be explored there. Not to take anything away from all the other tracks because I love the kind Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. summery pop punk vibe as well. That's absolutely my jam. Uh, But (laughs) it's really interesting to hear you go off on these other musical tangents as well. Um, Was that one of the songs that you were conscious that was kind of perhaps separate and maybe a level apart for sure i think you know that and kiss my fist as well like they just rip and the producer that we worked with last summer just like really brought a, a chunkiness to our sound that we didn't have before because we were just recording in like you know really cheap damp diy 
recording studios where we were just like recording a whole EP in one day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, so well, that's the financial like, reality, isn't it? As a DIY band, you've just got to get in, get out, and yeah, for sure. come away with for the best sure. that you can hope for. Yeah, yeah. And there's, like, there's a beauty to that as well. I think, you, you know, you listen to our first couple of EPs and there's just so much raw, just like, rage joy in there. Yeah. Yeah, having, having that depth to it and like really thinking about, you know, all of the frequencies that we're filling out across our instruments, like the pace of it all, kind of what we're, the dynamics that we're bringing in songs, I think Payback is one of the bigger sounding songs, both live. Um, we get a lot of really like powerful emotional responses to Payback when we play it live as well. Like a lot of people crying in the audience, a lot of people coming up to us telling us about their experiences of abuse, their experiences of like the police and courts and lack of justice and, you know, powerful men who have committed um, awful violence and then completely gotten away with it. Um, that and Kiss My Fist, which is a song about homophobic violence and just like... Was that, was that kind of directly inspired by that incident on the bus or had it already been written at that point? That was just a horrible coincidence. So it wasn't, it was inspired by the like brutal attack on the two um, queer women on a bus in London, yep. which went viral. And it was also and thank, inspired by thank the, God like, they took that picture and shared that as well and kind of brought that right, incident sure. to the attention of so many people. Very, for very, sure, very brave, sure. important move on their part. Definitely. And I think I think something that is important for us to name, and I think the two women have named this as well, is that, you know, I think the reason that that, att- like, that case got a lot of sympathy and attention was, yes, they took that picture, but also because they were white. And I think there is a reality to the fact that a lot of people of colour experience violence at much higher rates in public um, than white queer people. And yet we don't talk about that as much. But basically, the, the Kiss My Fist track was inspired by that. But then Anya and I were just like sitting on my sofa talking about it and it was like it's so mad that we live in a world where on Pornhub the most searched most watched term is lesbian across the world they've got this incredible infographic that just basically shows like in the US UK Canada and Australia um, lesbian is like the most searched and watched porn genre and yet one in five lesbians in the UK will experience a hate crime in public which is the definition of irony isn't it it is a tragic and hilarious and bizarre example of how ridiculous the human species is as you say when it's like a fantasy for so many men but then they'll see that in reality and go and it's like what they hate what they desire yeah they hate what they desire and also i think it just comes down to the objectification of queer women as there to be sexualized and to serve men's like illusion of power basically and then they can't stand it when they see queer women together in public they're just like oh i'm not relevant in this <laughs> was it wasn't the story behind that bus incident as well that they'd asked or sort of told or demanded that these girls kiss each other and it was when yeah. they when they said no oh. that they were then attacked exactly which, which demonstrates like the point i just made around just, we're not here for your entertainment we're not here for your pleasure you don't have any like role or say in the way that we want to live our lives. And yes, if that threatens you, you need to look at yourself. And there's some amazing lyrics in that song as well, um, which I think you do so well. Like, I don't want to call it sloganeering because that's the wrong term, but there's certainly <laughs> like you get into the meat and bones of the subject matter with really yeah. specific hooks that the, the, the crowd yeah. can grab onto and, and sing along to. And it stays in your mind and you think, OK, in two lines, you've just summarized, you know, the whole emotional tone of this song. Oh, thanks, Matt. I dig it. Do you know my favorite song on the record, though, Janie? Tell me, tell me. People are like cities. Really? 
that song for me uh-huh. is like you in full Debbie Harry mode, full Blondie, like great, amazing guitar work from Anya. And the line, there are some dark streets in you where I don't want to go. The reason I love bands like the Buzzcocks is because when every other band in their scene was singing about, you know, the government and politics and things like this, Mm. their concern was a lot more with existential dread and this feeling of kind of mental isolation and alienation. And they were just a bit more of a complex Mm. cerebral band. And that mm. song for me has that real cerebral quality to it. Uh, and then you just let wail at the end. And yeah, that's, I mean, I love all the songs on there and they're all very different in their own beautiful ways. But that song for me, I was like, this is just, that br- brought me in. It's kind of like a cinematic, I don't know, just an, in, an interesting little movie in a song, that one. That's incredible. And you wrote all of the lyrics to that song. Like that was very much, you know, the only song on the album. I think a lot of them are very, very like collaborative. That was the only song on the album where Annie was just like, I've got a really strong idea for a song. I've got a strong identity for a song. She brought it to rehearsal and then we fleshed it out from there. Um, but yeah, that's cool. It's just, That's not out there at the moment, is it? So the ones out there at the moment, I guess, no. would be what DIY chirps, payback, kiss my fist. Are they the, the big four? Corporate realness. Oh yeah. Number five. Text me back, Kurt's friend, um, and Kiss My Fist. And then we just signed to Dynalet Records in Canada, um, and they're going to be releasing Gillian on, I think, the 18th of June. Amazing. So I mean, that's, that's, such a su- that's such a summer tune. That's going to go over so well. <laughs> yeah, You've got to try and get this as the summer out by the end of summer as well, by July, July August or something. Don't you worry, my friend. <laughs> Don't you worry. <laughs> You're on it. And the UK label is Alcapop, is that right? Yeah. Uh, and Alcapop are great. Is the title just going to be Dream Nails? Is it self-titled? That's it. Self-titled. Classy like that, Matt. Yep. Lovely, lovely stuff. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Do you want to talk about anything? Is there anything you want to unleash or explore? I think we've covered um, almost everything I wanted to chat about. What a, what a lovely, amazing talk. I knew it would be good. And uh, it was well worth the year-long wait. I'm sorry it's taken so long for no, us to both get round to it. We've just got more to talk about. I think the only other thing that I want to really name is just like, I'm... I'm really glad that we we managed to raise a grant for the garment factory workers in Bangladesh who make our t-shirts. So basically, like, just over a year ago, we switched our t-shirt supplier to this ethical cooperative in Bangladesh. Um, and since COVID hit, basically loads and loads of factories, like the H&M and Mango and all the high street brands, just closed because all of their sales slumped over here. The closed factories and loads of... Um, you know, Bengali garment workers were just out of work and were more worried about not being able to eat than um, COVID itself. So Dream Nail fans, who are amazing, managed to, like, pitch in together to raise a grand. And we just sent it over to them today and we just got these stickers. I put them on our Instagram, basically, that are saying, like, food is a re- food is not a relief, it's a right, like, with the Dream Nails and the No Sweat logos. And I think what got me thinking about that is just, like, how many bands don't really question where their t-shirts are coming from and i think like in reality if we hadn't switched to like an ethical t-shirt provider through no sweat uk like just over a year ago like we wouldn't have had that connection we wouldn't have even been thinking throughout this period like you know how as a band we are deeply connected to people all the way across the other side of the world and like have like a, a duty and a responsibility to those people um, so I think like just the thing that's been on the top of my mind this morning is about how bands like outside of their lyrical content and outside of kind of the way that they run their shows, just where they source their merch from is really, really important, especially in like a very globalized world. Um, 
where every single show and every place on tour you have an opportunity to talk about supply chains and labor rights i think you raise an interesting point there because as we enter this well we're already in it we're not entering we're there as we enter this new world uh merch is going to become a big i think role Mm. in bands income Mm. because they're not able to get out and play shows so a lot of bands i think are going to be looking to their online shop as their main source of income and yeah at this point in time when there is going to be a lot of new merch being made and sold and and shipped around i think it's more important than ever to be as you say sourcing that from ethical responsible morally right i think so too yeah absolutely because i mean we are all just yeah we're also responsible for that and i just don't think we think about it enough and you know as a band obviously when we had like cheaper t-shirts we got to keep more of the profit from them but we just made a political choice that, like no what's more important here is just like being able to stand up as a political band and be like through and through from the way that we run our band to the way that we run our shows to the way that we treat people backstage to the way that we speak to venues about you know having a safer space policy having gender neutral toilets doing women and non-binary people to the front it extends beyond all of that to our t-shirts well, and leading by example as well, and also being able to go to sleep at night with a clear conscience and knowing that actually what you're preaching, you're also, you know, you're backing it mm. up and you're, you're walking the walk as well as talking the talk. Can I ask you this? As an all-girl band, when you arrive at venues, is there ever been mm. instances where you're, you know, perhaps mistreated or mocked or they don't take you seriously, either from a sound engineer point of view or the venue <laughs> manager point of view? Because I've heard a few stories like that where it's like, all right, you're the, you're the girlfriends, when's the band here? And you're like, what the fuck, mate? Oh, yeah, we've definitely, we've definitely had that. I mean, literally, Mimi and Annie have walked in with guitars on their back to a rehearsal studio, and the guy's been like, who has seen? <laughs> they're like, uh, we're the practice, because we're playing Glastonbury. <laughs> yeah. And, like, similarly, actually, Rebellion Festival a couple of years ago when we played, so it's just, you know, like, the butlins of punk. Yeah. Basically, we turn up there with our AAA wristbands, try to go through the artist's entrance, and someone's like, it's artists only, and we're like, Lucy's literally carrying like a cymbal and a snare. Like Anya and Mimi have their guitars on their backs. Like you think we're carrying this for fun? <laughs> and, that, and that's a, and that's a punk festival as well, or supposedly so. Yeah, which you know, uh, yeah. that's that's disheartening, that's a, isn't it? Yeah, and um, Mimi often gets told where to plug her bass in. You know. <laughs> yeah. And if we have if we have a male driver, I think you know the sound engineer will often speak to him first. But do you know what, Matt? I love it because we are so underestimated as a group of four women who just walk into a venue with our kit. Within three minutes of sound check, they're just there with their mouth open, like holy fuck. Well, it's it's <laughs> always better. It's always better to be the underdog, right? Because there's no expectation, and then you can just, as you say, step up and do what you do. And then they're like, oh shit. I mean, it's not the same thing at yeah, all. Really. But I get it to a certain extent as a DJ because all sound engineers think that all DJs are total morons, and many of them really? are. Many of them are, and so I'll rock in, but I'm the DJ, and they'll be like, "Here we fucking go." But then you know, I'll be yeah. like, "Oh well, I need this, this. I'm going to be doing this here, blah blah." And then they're kind of like, "Oh, he does know what he's doing," and that's a nice feeling to yeah. be like, "I'm going to prove you wrong, asshole." <laughs> also, just like yeah, completely. It's such a great feeling, like you know, when people underestimate you and you prove them wrong, and then by the end of it. The grumpy, like pissy sound engineer who was really patronising the beginning is like, that was sick. Yeah, can I buy a t-shirt? <laughs> Give me your album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Silly, <laughs> silly. Always, always. And you know what? Like, you know, you get some. We've had some obviously awful interactions, not just from venues. Just you know, we play. We played gigs where like, you know, coach up guys haven't wanted to hear that we want them to stand at the back and have kicked off, or you know, guys who like physically try to climb on the stage or like grab. We had an incident um, once where a guy was just like this sweaty topless guy um, 
he was just slam dancing, which is just not the vibe at our show. We were just like, we're going to stop the show now, okay. Stopping the show, like, you know, women on bunny seats to front, move back, move back, move back. Then he did. And then basically, once he started playing again, he came and he tried to grab Mimi's pedals. He was trying to grab her leg while she was playing. And like, I mean, she kicked him in the face and then he got the message. But just how ridiculous is that? Like, why can men just not accept that four women are on stage absolutely shredding? Why, why do they have to insert themselves into that? Do you know the other thing as well, and I say this as somebody who has a fondness for alcohol, is alcohol is often the cause of these incidences. Uh, and it's such, it a, so it's such a shame. There was a gig recently at the it's Brixton so Academy, I think it was Machine Head, and some yeah. idiot just threw his whole pint purposefully onto the sound desk. And, okay. and just shut down a Brixton Academy show. And it's, you know, that's just a direct result of being a pissed fucking idiot. And it's, I find it really, it's a real shame. I find it really jarring. I find it really, really jarring because I don't drink. Okay. So, like, going into these, I'm, I'm so cold over every single tour. So, going into these spaces where, like, you know, people are having a time, people are drunk, and then, you know, sometimes it gets a bit much and they turn nasty and they're basically behaving like oversized toddlers because mm-hmm. of the lack of self awareness. I'm just like, why? Why? Why are we like this? Why are humans like this? <laughs> have you have you always been sober? Have you always abstained from the uh, from the source? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, my father was an alcoholic, so I've right. like, always had very negative associations with alcohol. Um, and I'm just I'm just not really into it. I like to have a clear head. I like to stay alert and productive. Good for you. Uh, final question. So, as a new band, what's the reality? Oh. Because I'm aware that it's hard. Because I used to work for a, a certain online um, company who I won't name, but mm. they basically would have this infrastructure where you could have like a new band feature as a new band. Mm-hmm. But then after that, mm-hmm. they'd be like, "Oh, you're not big enough to then have a main feature about you, and you've already had the, the new band feature." Mm. So then there's basically mm. no other features that you can have. And then obviously the reality right. of that is like, well, then how do we become the next big band if you're not going right. to cover us? Um, and I guess radio stations, there's a lot less of them now. I've noticed that mm. Radio 1 have been playing you guys loads, which is incredible yeah, because that's the golden yeah. ticket right there. Like, you know, forget any rock radio station. If you're on Radio 1, mm. job done. But do you find it hard trying to get media coverage as a new band because so many... I think websites are just interested in the clicks and the clickbait type material. And for that, they obviously need the big star interview. And I've noticed that a lot. So, I mean, what's the reality as a new upcoming band in terms of trying to get exposure and press and, and radio plays and things like that? Is it a grind? Is it a hustle? It's a hustle. Yeah, for sure. But also I, I just don't have anything to compare it to. Cause like, obviously I've never been a, a rich boy man in a band. So yeah. like, I don't know how easy, I don't know how easy it, it is. It can be. But I mean, I'm very happy with the coverage that Dream Nails have got. I think we've kind of emerged in a political climate where people are very, very much ready for like angry women to say what they want to say and also have fun doing it. So we've had like a lot of coverage in The Guardian, in like Independent, you know, Music Weekly, Guitar Mag. Like we, we have had quite a lot of interest. And a part of me doesn't really know if it's because of like, you know, we get a bit fetishized with this all women band or just like people just really vibe with it. Either way, like we're getting the message out there and. I feel very grateful for actually the amount of journalists who have really like given us their time and attention. We did a really good interview with Upset Magazine the other day where we got to talk about, you know, lots of things that we really, really, really care about as musicians. And it feels like such a blessing to be able to like find those journalists, connect with them and get the word out there. So there's still some good ones out there fighting the good fight, doing the good work. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just think it's really sad, like the state of the print print press in the uk in general and just like online press as well like you know 
amazing platforms like the pool, like BuzzFeed, just like disappearing because they run out of money. And, you know, those are some of the most interesting articles and sources online. Just like, where are we headed? I think the last year that music was like secure was 2002 or something. <laughs> I mean, I started work on Kerrang Radio in 2010, and even then you could feel like it was already the last throws of the party. All the main sort of key players had left the building, and there's this kind of like feeling of, Ugh. I mean, there's still kind of a thing happening, but the, the, the big party's yeah. been and gone. And it's weird, you, no, you speak to so bad. many bands who experience like the last throes of the, the sort of the big record industry days when mm. you get advances and all that kind of stuff. And you'd also get the, the period in time, going back to right where we started the conversation to finish on, bands would get the chance to develop. And a band like Queen mm. is a great example. Like they didn't hit right. or have a successful single till Killer Queen, which was on like their third record. And you just think, right. well, if that was the case now... Uh, and they put out their first album, they'd have been dropped, and we'd have never had a band like Queen. And it's like, what? I don't want to live in a world without Queen. And it's it's so hard now, I think, for bands to spend that time honing and developing their skills, and you've you've managed to make it work for you guys, and you've done it right, and you've been smart about it. And, you know, in many ways, things are just getting started for you. In fact, they haven't even really properly started yet because your album still isn't out so this is a very i think although it must be a frustrating time for you hopefully still a very exciting one as well to be on the cusp of you know finally getting to share this this record that you've poured your hearts into and and you will get the chance to tour it soon i'm sure for sure i think like i also think what's been really beautiful as a DIY band and as like tenants activists is that we haven't kind of forged our our way through this on our own like throughout the last five years we've been playing like shows for feminist collectives in like Istanbul and Berlin and like squats and like anti-racist fundraiser events and you know very very political communities who are more than willing to like give you space give you a platform and then you reach fans through that and similarly like so many brilliant bands who we've toured with have been willing to share their backside with us you know we went on tour with Cherry Glazer in two- 2017 and we were just like, we'd love to tour with you, but we can't. We don't have any backline. We don't have any kit. We're a DIY band. We don't have anything to plug into anywhere. We don't have a drum kit. And they were like, you guys, you guys. Like, same with Anti Flag, you know, same with Petrol Girls. Like, every band that we've toured with, we've only been able to do so because of their generosity. And I do think, you know, in a, in a heavily competitive industry, there is a lot to say for just, you know, lending someone kit, spending that extra time to see their slot before the main um headliner all of these like small acts that we can do as musicians and as like audience members are really really important and they don't cost anything a friend of mine has a phrase community not competition and i think that i agree with that absolutely what it's all about is together you're stronger and forget like ego forget that kind of jealous or maybe they're getting a gig that we should be on blah blah it's like no no if you put aside all your differences oh no and actually build something together, you're going to all improve and, you know, benefit from it. Definitely. I think that's, that's much harder to do in practice because there is a lot of challenge to ego and there's a lot of, there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of insecurity. But I think, you know, once you can overcome that, it's transformative both as like, both as an individual and you're making a, just a better world really, isn't it? Well, listen, Janie, I was an instant fan of your band the first time I saw you all those years ago, and I am now an instant fan of you. I think you're a, a very switched on, smart, funny, interesting person. And um, yeah, yeah I'm, thanks, I'm really excited to see how your story pans out in the coming months and indeed years. Um, 
it's been a really fun chat thank you so much for giving up your time and yeah i'm really glad that we finally got to sit down and do it even though this is the first like phone podcast i've done and i've always put off doing them in the past because people have always said to me you know you could get a lot more guests because you can just phone up anyone anywhere but Mm. i've always been of the opinion that to really connect and and do what i want to do with this show which isn't just a q a it's a conversation and i want to really get to know the person you sort of need to be in a room with them but actually this has proved that if it's the right guest then you don't um you can indeed still make that connection through the uh the airwaves or the phone signals or whatever you want to call it um so yeah i've I've really enjoyed this thank you you. see you soon hopefully (laughs) in the world bye-bye Ghost me. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.